0: make that money draft king session number 11 ufc 242 khabib versus poirier spectate while your pockets accumulate make that money draft king sessions number 11 I'm your host, Uber Mike, and we're here to break down the DraftKings slate of UFC 242 so you can make that money. Before we get into the breakdown of these fights, some quick business to get to. First and foremost, thank each and every one of y'all who have watched the videos, who have subscribed, who have liked the videos, who have disliked the videos, who have shared the videos, etc., etc., etc. We have surpassed 100 subscribers on the youtube channel and as promised there will be a fight companion live stream fight companion this saturday for ufc 242 so you're gonna see me crack a coffee turn on the tv turn on the prelims and we're gonna do this thing from the early prelims all the way to the main event with khabib and poirier i'm gonna get animated i'm gonna get after it because i'm gonna be making that money y'all gonna be making that money This card is at a decent time. It's not at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning like the China card. And it's going to be a good old time. So, again, thank every single one of you for subscribing to the YouTube channel. And please, let's keep this thing going. Let's keep this thing booming and grooving so we can do bigger and better things as this channel progresses. Also, if you never played DraftKings before, if you need strategies on how to construct a lineup, or if you just don't know what the heck DraftKings is... There's three respective links below on what I just mentioned. Click on those links. Check out the videos. Get educated. Get in the game and make that money. Finally, like, subscribe, share this video. Thank you so much. And also, want to also thank the big homie Brandon K for shouting out this channel on his respective videos. Him and I, him and I had a disagreement with the underdog lock. Last card, the UFC China, Da Ong Song. He came through. He handled business. He made y'all look good. He made this channel look good. And Brandon K, just appreciate you hollering at us. Thank you. Come by. Get your lineup right and make that money. So, let's go ahead and let's get into the main event of UFC 242. We have Khabib Nurmagomedov at the DraftKings price of 9300 versus versus Dustin the Diamond Poirier at the DraftKings price of 6900 And with Khabib, Khabib is the golden standard of takedowns, transitions, and everything in regards to that on DraftKings. Undefeated, 27-0, Dagestanian champion, whooped up on McGregor, whooped up on Edson Barbosa, whooped up on Raging Al. This whooped cats. This domination. Never really had a close fight, unless you want to go way back to the Glace and t bow fight, but we're not here to talk about his... We're here to talk about his DraftKings breakdown and speaking of which if you look at his fights per fight in a DraftKings basis, 111.7 points average. This guy scores, 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 scores. How does he do it? Looking at his strengths, relentless pressure, relentless takedown attempts, relentless chain wrestling. Whenever he is able to get his opponent down, he transitions, or if he's not transitioning, he's able, to, he has very, very, very phenomenal top control, is able to hold his opponent down and rain down significant strikes, which is even more points. If you look at his weaknesses, the only weakness that really stands out for Khabib is his stand up. His stand up isn't necessarily up there, up there compared to his other contenders in the 155 pound division, but dropping Conor McGregor in his last fight does show improved striking on top of that as well it's not like his striking's in a vacuum where that's all he does his wrestling commands a lot of respect which leaves a lot of opening for his opponents in the stand-up department because if they purely just want to stand up with khabib he'll just get underneath them and take them down they have to respect that they have to respect this top pressure and looking at this recent youtube videos and such of his training and everything it seems that his stand-up is just getting better and better and better and training at aka with javier mendez and company. I trust it, man. I trust that it's getting better. I'm, cl- I'm trusting that he's closing that gap. But then, not to get too distracted, takedowns, top pressure, ground and pound, relentless cardio, relentless pace, golden standard of this pressure wrestling. Really phenomenal. Looking at Khabib's opponent, Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Dustin Poirier, he's been around for a while. Initially fought at, fought at the featherweight division in the WC days and in his early UFC career. Moved to 155 pounds, had a bad fight against Michael Johnson, got knocked out really quick. But then after that Michael Johnson loss, he just turned it around. He's won, I believe it's five or six fights in a row. And man, he's just been handling business. He finished Anthony Pettis. He finished uh, Edson Barbosa. Oh, I'm sorry, not Edson Barbosa, Eddie Alvarez, I meant to say. Finished Eddie Alvarez. Took it to Jim Miller. Just, he's just been beating guys. His fight, his recent fight against Max Holloway, looked really impressive in that bout as well. Being able to go all five rounds with Max, push the pace and things of that sort. When you look at Dustin's game, he's primarily a boxer. Wants to get into boxing range and just put combination together. That's one thing I do like about Dustin's game. His combination punching is Pretty impressive not at the max Holloway level where it's his touch 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 But in the point of he likes to get in there, maybe touch you with one or two shots But then throw two other shots behind those shots that are power shots trying to release you from your consciousness On top of that as well super grimy super tough dude. He's been in tough fights his last I believe three or four fights have been five round fights and he's just been able to push through and any sort of adversity, whether it be his uh, cardio being pushed against Max or when he fought Justin Gaethje, he was getting leg kicked, body kicked. Just Justin Gaethje is going to test your metal, and he's been able to surpass that as well. But if we look at any particular weaknesses with Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier hasn't really fought any wrestlers other than maybe Eddie Alvarez up to this point to fighting Khabib. On top of that as well, he's been taken down by Anthony Pettis, he's been taken down by Jim Miller, and he's been taken down by Jim Miller and I believe it's just those two. I I'm, I'm I believe I'm missing someone else, but in the tape He was taken down by those respective fighters and he wasn't held down He was able to get back up But then against a monster like Khabib that's just something to be super alarmed about Also another thing as well with Dustin Poirier. I noticed he does have power but not one punch power he needs to put combinations together in order to get the opponent wobbled, and in order to follow up and get the TKO, when he fought Eddie Alvarez, super chinny Eddie, Eddie Alvarez the second time, especially this was after Eddie Alvarez fought Conor, and obviously his chin was compromised. He got TKO'd in that bout. He went, ag- he went against Dustin, and Dustin was able to TKO him in the second round, but then he threw the kitchen sink at Eddie in order to get him out of there. And it makes me wonder, even though he has the power And he can put the combination together. Khabib has a chin. So, will he be able to put the combinations together enough to take Khabib out? Another thing I don't like as well in Dustin's game is he doesn't really attack the body. He'll throw leg kicks and body kicks, but doesn't commit to them too much. And and whenever he does decide to throw punches, he's head hunting. Not really looking to dig to the body, vary or anything of the strikes. All the strikes... Are going to the head. He's trying to release you from your consciousness, like I mentioned before. Going to the fight prediction, Khabib takes this bout by a very dominant decision. Dustin can hurt Khabib, yes, but then it's going to have to be done in the earlier bouts because even though both fighters have shown tiny tendencies to wane in the around the championship rounds or so, just because those those fights are so long, they're so grueling and such. I see. Dustin Poirier's cardio waning a lot more in those championship rounds, especially against a grimy pressure fighter like Khabib. And so if Dustin's going to do what he's going to do, his takedown defense has to be absolute bulletproof. His cardio has to be absolute bulletproof. And whenever he does decide to throw any sort of strikes that Khabib, they have to count. He has to go to the body. He has to go to the head whenever it's there. He has to slow Khabib down. If he just decides to headhunt Khabib, Khabib can just, get, can just get underneath him, push him up against the fence, and start working his chain wrestling. And the thing about Khabib is he doesn't give up on takedowns. He will keep doing the same old, same old until he gets your butt to the ground. And then once you're down there, it's like quicksand. It's, it's hot lava. It's not a good situation. DraftKings wise, Khabib Khabib recommend Khabib at ninety three hundred is not the most expensive fighter. He's actually the third most expensive fighter on the slate. And looking at his one hundred and eleven point seven fantasy points, uh, fight points per fight, this guy just he he has to be rostered. He's gonna be super high owned. I believe like sixty percent, seventy percent or so. But it comes with merit. It comes. You just don't want to leave those points on the table. Like in the case of the Kobe Covington fight, when he fought Robbie Law, he scored 160 points. You just don't want to leave those, even though he's highly, highly, highly owned. You mean you're gonna want that in your lineup. And with Dustin Poirier at 6,900, Dustin Poirier, I believe he won't be like low, low, low owned. But then at the same time, he will be. He won't be as highly owned as Khabib. And if Poirier is able to go out there and absolutely starch Khabib and get him out of there, and Khabib scores like half a point or something, then That's going to break the slate, absolutely. Dustin Poirier being not super high on as Khabib or so, but having that $6,900 piece will give you an edge in the slate as well as $6,900 giving your roster a lot more flexibility to do what it needs to do. Personally, I'm going with Khabib. I'm rostering him everywhere. I just think Khabib's an absolute monster. I feel like the only person I can really challenge Khabib is Tony Ferguson, in my opinion. And Dustin Poirier, like I mentioned before, if you believe he can go out there and get it done, if you, if you believe he's gonna bring something that Khabib has never seen before, then by all means roster him. He's a great price. In the co-main event, we have Edson Barbosa at the DraftKings price of 8,500 versus Paul Felder at the DraftKings price of 7,700. And this bout is actually a rematch. So, Edson got the better of Paul Felder in the first match. He won that bout by a unanimous decision. And now, they're coming back. They're fighting again in Abu Dhabi, co-main event. And looking at Edson Barbosa, leg kicks is the first thing that comes to mind. He throws super violent leg kicks, super violent kicks to the body... And he has these super fast, quick spinning kicks that just release people from their consciousness. If you don't believe me, just go and take the time to look up Edson Barbosa versus Terry Adam. if you don't believe what I'm saying in that regard. But the thing with Edson is if you are able to get in his face, if you have really good grappling or really good pressure and you cut off that kicking range... Edson's hands aren't necessarily impressive. He will throw hands here and there, but if you look at, let's say, for example, the Dan Hooker fight, where he scored 111 points or so, TKO Dan Hooker in, in the third round, it's absolutely dismantled him. Edson's hands need the guidance of his feet. The kicks are everything to Edson. He needs the leg kicks, he needs the body kicks, he needs that distance, he needs that control in order to actually unleash his strikes and possibly get a tko but if you're able to get in his face if you're able to cut off the range if you're able to make this a grimy fight he doesn't really do that well of a job counter striking with purely his hands let alone like counter striking like moving laterally and countering and such he does move but then this from a counter boxing or counter striking sort of thing with a pressure fighter doesn't do too well Look at his last bout against Justin Gaethje, where Justin Gaethje was able to cut off that kicking range, get in the punching range with Edson Barbosa, and knock him out cold. And looking at Edson Barbosa's opponent, Paul Felder, Paul Felder ever since losing to Edson Barbosa, he's been improving, he's been getting better, and I believe it was the year 2017, he went on an impressive streak of... Finishing opponents, he finished Stevie Ray, he finished uh, Charles Dubronx, Charles Oliveira. That was a very impressive finish as well. And looking at what he brings to the table, just he brings good counter grappling, just really good from the clinch in regards to not necessarily getting taken down, and also working takedowns of his own from those respective situations. And whenever he does strike, he's willing like to try stuff. He's willing to throw like spinning elbows, spinning fists. Kicks and such. It's a really tough, grimy guy who's willing to do what he needs to do. Weaknesses I see in Paul Felder's game is whenever he does throw punches, they don't seem to be very fast. It it, it tends to work depending on the matchup, but if he's going against a much quicker fighter or much quicker striker who has their techniques down, has their cadences down, they will be able to give Paul Felder a lot of trouble. On top of that as well, Paul Felder tends to pot shot. Doesn't really throw a lot of strikes in sequence. Probably throws at most two strikes at a time or so, which makes you wonder, like, hey, man, could you throw a lot more? Could you, like, put something together? And it's just, a, like I mentioned before, volume needs a bit of an uptick. And on top of that as well, if you look at his last couple of bouts, he didn't hasn't really gone for takedowns unless he's countering a takedown individual who's trying to get him to the ground and such. But looking at the fight prediction, I see Edson Barbosa winning the rematch by decision. Edson Barbosa is a lot more quicker. Edson Barbosa is a lot more sharper. On top of that, as well, Paul Felder, he may come in here with new tools and such, but then that's not saying that Edson Barbosa isn't coming in here with new tools. Also, there's this funny narrative that Edson Barbosa has been slowing down. He's out of it. You know, he's not the same Edson that he used to be. But if you look at these Edson's uh, fight sheet and you look at Paul Felder's fight sheet of who they fought, Leading up to this rematch, Edson Barbosa has faced the murderer's role in Kevin Lee. He's faced the murderer's role in Khabib. He's faced Justin Gaethje. He's faced Benil Del Rouge. He's faced way, way, way more tougher competition than Paul Felder. On top of that as well, I hate to play these kind of narrative games, but Paul Felder has been doing the broadcast booth stuff. He's been helping out with the Dana White contender series and such. So it makes you wonder, like, how committed is he to... Being a top contender, two fighting, two wanting to win the strap versus just wanting to come in, collect a check, and put on a very entertaining fight. If he wins, cool. If not, whatever. I feel like Edson Barbosa is still hungry. He still wants it. He still wants to be a top contender. This kind of matchup with Paul Felder, who's purely a striker, is perfect for Edson. And Paul Felder, I'm not saying he can't win, but then those are the things that you have to really, really question as well. Going into the DraftKings pricing, at the DraftKings price of 8500 for Edson Barbosa, it's a little bit too expensive because you need Edson Barbosa to get a finish here. Typically, whenever he is able to like pick apart a really tough opposition and win by a decision because he doesn't really go for takedowns, just purely strikes, Edson will get you about 60 points or so, which for 8500 I don't know. There's some guys later on in the card that will break down who you could pay $200, $300 more, and they'll give you way, way, way more upside. Edson Barbosa, he's a good, safe play for, I wouldn't say an easy win, but for maybe like a semi-comfortable win. But for that price of 8500 I don't like the upside that he brings, unless he's able to sleep Paul Felder. And with Paul Felder at 7700 like I mentioned before, if he's able to come in and shut down Edson's kicking range and getting his face and... Make this a grimy fight and happens to edge Edson. 7,700 is not a bad price. On top of that, as well, I don't see this fight really being invested in from a DraftKings standpoint because you got Khabib and you got other big names that we'll get into. So, if one of these guys are rostered and they happen to get the finish or have a really brilliant performance in this bout, then you get an edge in your DraftKings slate. And the next bout, we have Islam Makachev at the DraftKings price of 9200 versus Davy Hamos at the DraftKings price of 7000 And with Islam Makachev, he trains with the, um, in the same team as Khabib. I call him a bit of a mini Khabib. He's not as polished and as groomed and perfect as Khabib, but he's getting up there. And what he typically brings is kind of the same stuff as Khabib, but not at the same level, which is great pressure. Trips and really good takedowns from the off the cage, especially off the clinch great counter wrestling If you get a double underhook on this guy, he has a really strong wizard really strong sambo background He's able to trip you. He's able to turn bad takedown situations where he's getting taken down into Situations where he's getting the opponent on the ground and then when he's on top He doesn't really work the ground and pound which is a bit of a weakness as well That's something that's I've noticed but he is working to secure a position, keep really good top pressure, get those transition points. And if he's in a dominant position, he'll work to get a submission, which is good. It's good that he's going after that finish. It's just a bit frustrating that he doesn't really go after the ground and pound unless like it's there, there. On top of that as well, he's a bit green in the stand-up department. What I've noticed with him, uh, Islam Makachev, is if he's going against an opponent who isn't very scary on the feet. Then he has no problems opening up with his hands. His hands aren't the best, but then like like it's improving. So we'll see what it looks like in this matchup. Another thing as well is he did suffer one KO loss really early in his career, but it was more of like a freak knockout in regards to he just got perfectly countered. And ever since then, he's just been real conservative with his hands. And looking at his opponent, Davy Hamos, David Hamos is a high-level black belt. Takes guys down, not necessarily like in a wrestling esque, kind of Khabib esque, but more like jiu-jitsu trips. Like he'll get your back and then he'll like drag you down or do what he needs to do to take your back and hopefully get a rear-necked choke. He's been, he's had five bouts in the UFC and he's secured in three of those bouts, rear-necked chokes against John Gunther, against, uh, Chris Schumacher, and I forgot who the third individual is that he rear naked choked, but either way, like, David Ramos, high-level black belt, especially from the top, whenever he's able to get on top, has good top pressure, works to get uh, transitions so he can get into those dominant positions where he can secure those rear naked chokes. Weaknesses I see in David Ramos's game is his striking, it's super sloppy. It's nothing pretty to look at. On top of that as well, it's super steady, like, he will... Try to get in the punching range and he'll pot shot, but it's ugly to look at. And whenever he decides to open up and throw, his hands are dropping to his hips and he's just swinging wild, hopefully, hopefully, hoping something will land. On top of that as well, I noticed that his top pressure isn't necessarily best. If you're able to defend his transitions or if you're able to defend his uh, submission attempts, you can get right back up. From the bottom, I haven't really seen any offense from the bottom. Typically, he lays there and then he'll have the opponent control, but he doesn't really go for triangles or anything of that sort. And whenever he's not able to get takedowns, he's not very friendly, draft king wise. But going into the fight prediction, I see Islam Makachev winning this bout by decision. This is going to be a very slow and steady bout. I don't see Davy Ramos being able to take down Islam because Islam Sambo and overall wrestling game is very solid, takedown defense super solid. Scramble Master like you just awesome but obviously the BJJ experience and edge goes to Ramos it's just that Islam I believe won't really go there I believe Islam is going to make this a striking match and the only time I really see him going for takedowns is towards the end of the round just to secure points and this is to secure that round looking at it from a DraftKings perspective Islam market at 9200 I'm scared to roster him. That's a bit too expensive, especially for this matchup. If you see him sleeping Davy Hamos, or if you, if you think Davy Hamos forgot how to do jiu-jitsu come fight night, then by all means roster him. But at 9,200, I get flashbacks on his previous bout. I'm not going to pronounce the uh, young guy's name, but he fought Olivier Mercier, and he did good in that bout. But anyway, Islam fought that individual, this uh, young guy. I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm not going to say it. But... In that bout, he scored 62 points and he was around the same price. I get sort of the similar vibes in regards to this. A really good ground fighter who's not going to let Islam lay the pressure on him and control him. And if Islam is the win, I can see him scoring 50. No, not 50. I'm sorry. 60 to maybe 70 points. And 9,200 is too rich for my blood. Davy Hamos at $7,000. That's a really good pump price in regards to can Ramos during the grappling exchanges with Makachev. Get his back, get his neck, and submit him. Basically, a submit or a bust. But with Davy Hamos, I see this fight going all the way to the scorecards. So that's 15 minutes for him to possibly boom or bust for you. In the next bout, we have Curtis Blades at the DraftKings price of 9400 versus Samil. Akrabumov at the DraftKing price of 6800 and with Curtis Blades, the name of the game with this heavyweight is wrestle, 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 wrestle. I believe he has the takedown record for the UFC heavyweights, which is about 40 takedowns I believe landed, so a lot of takedowns. And he's only had two losses in his respective career, and that's two Francis Ngannou. So very, very, very respectable in that regard. But Going back to strengths, wrestle, 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 wrestle. He keeps going. He has a motor. He embraces the grind. Doesn't really get tired. Just keeps pushing. Has very impressive cardio for a wrestling heavy heavyweight. If you look at any particular weaknesses for Curtis Blades, it is his striking. It's not really up there, up there. And at times, it's got him in trouble. If you look at the Mark Hunt fight, Mark Hunt wobbled him a bit in that first round before he said, okay, I'm not a boxer. I'm a wrestler. Let me take him down. Against... Alistair Overeem, he was able to get Alistair Overeem down and TKO him in the third and such, but in that respective bout, he was eating Overeem knees, Overeem elbows whenever he was coming in sloppy with his striking, just coming in sloppy in general, and if you look at his two Nganu losses, Nganu knocked him out twice, so his striking is improving, it's looking quicker, but wrestling is where his bread is buttered, and looking at Shamil, with Shamil he he's a patient striker pretty mobile heavyweight not super mobile the speed edge definitely goes to Curtis blades but he's not a sitting duck he's not like a Ben Rothwell just like a plot of of goo basically and with Samil what I will say he brings to hit the bout that's that's good for him is just patience real good patience uh real good patience with the strikes and such can get takedowns off of of uh, kicked legs and such. But if you go into his weakness, he's just too patient, just too tentative. On top of that as well, his takedown defense isn't good. Whenever he fought Derek uh, Lewis, Black Beast, Derek Lewis took him down, mounted him, and TKO'd him. Derek Lewis has power, so no fault in getting tko But if you're getting taken down by the Black Beast, then something's wrong with your takedown defense. On top of that as well, like I mentioned before, the super low output, like he just doesn't really get after it and going into the fight prediction i see curtis blades winning this bout by tko 40 takedowns in the ufc is no joke on top of that as well curtis blades has beat he beat justin willis who i believe justin willis would give samil a run for his money at least two were at the fight on top of that as well he's beaten mark hunt he's beaten alistair over he's beaten some notable respectable names and i feel like samil is just a step down in competition and it just goes back to like a really, really, really big point with me. If you're getting taken down by Derek Lewis, what's Curtis Blades going to do to you? On top of that, I just feel like Curtis is going to keep grinding, grinding, grinding. He has good top pressure. He has good transitions. And whenever he does get the position and he's secured, he's willing to open up and do damage. And going into DraftKings at 9,400, Curtis Blades is the second most expensive fighter on the slate. But he's a good, secure win, I feel like. It's a good, secure win on top of that as well. He will give you, at the least, his floor is 80 points with a ceiling of definitely 100 points. And he, I believe he won't be as highly owned as could be, But at the same time, he won't really... I don't don't believe he's going to have the same ceiling as Khabib because Khabib has five rounds to work versus here, he has three rounds, but I believe with this step down in competition, I believe he's able to go in there, get Jamil down, do what he needs to do. With Jamil at 6,800, I don't trust it. You need to absolutely fade this guy. Like Even if he were to win, he's probably going to drop maybe like 60 points or so. Like Look at his fight average, 60.1 points per fight, and it makes sense based on how he fights. Curtis Blades needs to be way off his game or Shamil needs to hurt Curtis Blades and get him out of there. But I don't think Curtis Blades is going to play the striking game with him. In fact, I think Curtis Blades might have the striking edge in this bout. But if Shamil's your homie, roster him. I'm going with Curtis Blades in regards to this bout. In the next bout, we have Maribik Tusumov at the DraftKings price of 9000 versus Diego Friera at the DraftKings price of $7,200. And with Maribik Tusumov, this guy is... Violence. Fetish, man. Super violent fighter. Basically, explosivity at his finest. Really good counter-striker. Whenever he throws any sort of strike, he puts his all into it. Puts his all into it, and he's looking to kill his opponent. Whenever he fought Michael Praseras, which was his one, I believe it was his one and only loss in the UFC, Michael Praseras was this high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu, really stalky, has really good wrestling also, and Marabek was just a bit tentative. He was getting taken down, wasn't really able to get his offense going. But ever since that loss, I believe he's been on a seven or six fight winning streak or so, but he's been absolutely tearing through cats, countering them violently. Whenever he does get on top of people after knocking them down or if, they ha- if he happens to trip them, the ground and pound counts. It is taking people out, releasing them from their consciousness, just really impressive stuff. And his latest bout against De- Des Green, he scored 42 points, which it may look disappointing, but the narrative of that fight was Des Green, he's a super awkward fighter to go up against. On top of that as well, Des was getting lit up by leg kicks and body kicks, so I believe he had enough of a fight IQ to be like, hey, I don't really want to mess with this guy, let me see if I can like win by points or whatever the case may be, but... Tusumov won that fight 30-27 quite easily. If I look at weaknesses with uh, Tusumov, the one thing that comes to mind is he doesn't really fight very frequently. I believe it's been a year since he's fought in this upcoming bout, and it was the same story, I believe, in this past couple of bouts. He typically fights once or twice a year. He's been dealing with visa issues. I heard he's been dealing with injuries, but the injury narrative, I don't really take too seriously because he just look explosive and... This violent. On top of that as well, he's training at Tiger Muay Thai, which is a very, very, very top-notch facility. And I believe he's going to be ready to go. And looking at his opponent, Diego Fiera. Diego Fiera, he trains out of Dallas, Texas. He trains at Fortis MMA. BJJ Black Belt, who's willing to bite down on the mouthpiece, brawl it out, bang it out, make it do what it do. He KO'd Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon's a really respectable fighter. On top of that as well, he beat a UFC newcomer. Forgot his name, (laughs) but he'd been a UFC newcomer, and on top of that, uh, he was an underdog in his previous fight, and he was able to win that fight pretty comfortably, but that was because the opponent he was facing wasn't really willing to engage with him, but like I mentioned before, high-level BJJ, really good top pressure from the ground, good transitions as well, good ground and pound as well, and on the feet is grimy and is able to throw down. But if you go into weaknesses with Diego, his striking is sloppy. Man, oh man, the hands drop. The chin's up in the air. He's throwing wild. His feet are flat. He is open to get countered. Open to get get, get, get countered. A lot of times he's able to nullify that because he's so aggressive. But against an opponent like uh, Marabek, Tusamov, I don't know. Fight prediction-wise, Tusamov by TKO. Tusumov is a nasty counter-striker. He just doesn't counter-strike. He doesn't strike to score points. He strikes to knock you out. And in DraftKings, that's a very, very, very good sign. And with Diego Fiera, his takedowns are there, but his takedowns are not the best. They're very jiu-jitsu-esque and not very wrestling, drive-you-down kind of takedowns, like Michael Persera's takedowns were when he fought Tusumov. And so I could see Fiera trying to shoot a couple of those takedowns. And Tusamov just absolutely stuffing them because Tusamov has the speed advantage. He has the explosion advantage. He just has the striking advantage. Like, if he stays away from Diego Fierro's ground game, he will be able to handle him point blank simple because Diego keeps his hand down, hands down, doesn't move his head, and is open to get blasted on. And going into the DraftKings price at $9,000 for Tusamov, he's a good, good. Rostable piece there's gonna be a lot of rostable players in the nine thousand dollar range, so you have to be very selective of how you want to go about this like who do you think will give you the most bang for the buck and with Tusamov, I really like this matchup. It's in Abu Dhabi they're gonna make him go out there and showcase and Fiera's just I just with his style and such I don't see him fighting intelligently. I see him going out there trying to tough man it out and Tusamov absolutely sleeping him. And at the DraftKings price of 7200 for Fiera, this is another fade for me. But if you believe that Fiera is able to come in with a super smart game plan and take Tusumov down and control him and win by points or something of that sort, then by all means roster him. 7200 is a cheap price. But I believe that Fiera just doesn't have the whereabout to go about a game plan like that. I think he's going to want to stand up with Tusumov, bang it out, and he'll just be on the floor unconscious. In the next bout, we have Andrea KGB Lee at the DraftKings price of eighty-eight hundred versus Juan Calderwood at the DraftKings price of seventy-four hundred. With Andrea Lee, this is the second time on the Make That Money DraftKings sessions where we've reviewed this girl, and it makes no difference. This girl is super impressive, really good striking in regards to her cadence. Has a weird cadence, has a weird rhythm that throws girls off, and she's able to put the strikes together on top of that as well. From the clinch, she's quite strong from there. Is able to manipulate her opponent's bodies and her their head and get off knees as well as takedowns from there as well. And if the opponent's trying to take her down from the clinch, she's just super strong from there. Her back can be up against the cage. She's able to work back. They can be trying to trip her and such from the, from space. She's able to get back. I mean, she looks good in those regards. In the battle against Montana De La Rosa, she was able to stifle some of those takedowns from de La rosa it was able to take her down as well and on the feet man she looked impressive she just outclassed her and it, it was the same thing against ashley evan smith same thing against uh, veronica macedo macedo's not that good i understand but this so far so good in regards to andrea lee if there's any particular weakness it's in open space if you are able to shoot like a wrestling-esque kind of shot on her she can be taken now and but the Another good thing about that is when she does get taken down, she works to get her butt back up. She doesn't waste time. She doesn't lay back and say die. She gets up, she resets, and she gets her hands moving and working. And with her opponent, Haran Calderwood, she lost her previous bout against uh, Caitlyn Kagan It's arguable that she won that bout, but that's neither here nor there. And with her, she has a very patient sort of striking style likes to throw leg kicks like to throw teeps likes to mix in the hands but it's kind of like what Edson Barbosa with her she likes she uses her legs to set up the hands but she doesn't have the vicious leg kicks and such as a barboza on top of that as well from the bottom she has pretty sneaky submissions if you're not on your p's and q's she's secured armbar victories before she's able to take girls down she did it to Ariana Lipsky, and she she's a She's an okay fighter. If I go into weaknesses with Joanne Calderwood, it would be her aggressiveness. She doesn't have a sense of urgency and she doesn't have an aggressiveness. She doesn't have that dog or that nastiness to make fights, you know, grimy. Unless she's going against an opponent who is just as passive as her or just isn't on her level. But going into the fight prediction, I see Andrea Lee winning this bout by unanimous decision. Andrea Lee has the advantage in the stand-up absolutely on the ground as well i would say Joanna calderwood has the the brazilian jiu-jitsu advantage and if andrea lee is messing around down there she could get submitted but i believe andrea lee is too smart and then from the clinch andrea lee is just way 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 too strong and on top of that as well if caitlin Chukagan is able to touch up calderwood then andrea lee especially with her funky rhythm and her funky cadence is gonna Gonna put on a clinic on Calderwood. Calderwood would fight back, and she's definitely not gonna get finished in this bout. But I could see Andrea Lee having her way in this bout. And then going into DraftKings, Andrea Lee at 8,800, they're doing it again, man. They're making her too expensive. The last two bouts, she was $9,000. In this, uh, in the Montana De La Rosa, she was 8,800, and again, she's 8,800. So around that price, you have to really. She will be a good play for. Cash games. If you're playing like a head to head or a double up or something, definitely roster Andrea Lee. She'll get you the win. She'll get you a good 70, probably 80 point floor, and you'll be able to be good to go from there. If you look at Calderwood at 7,400, whenever she lost to Caitlin Chukagin, she scored 71 points in the loss. Really impressive. Got to keep in mind, though, she needs to get takedowns. If she's able to secure a takedown or two, on top of that, is able to throw strikes and and land significant strikes on Andrea Lee, she'll be able to give you a nice 40-point, 50-point floor, which is good whenever you're trying to roster up all these $9,000, $8,000 plays that we're going to go into later on, and you just need someone who maybe could possibly win, but then at the same time, if they lose, they're not going to give you half a point or two points or something. They're going to give you a nice, good, floor. In the next bout, we have Zibura Tugov at the DraftKings price of 9500 versus Laron Murphy at the DraftKings price of $6,700. And with uh, Zubara, Zubara is the most expensive fighter on this DraftKings slate and the story behind him is he hasn't fought in three years. So, he dealt with a USADA suspension and he was out for two years in regards to that. Was going to come back and fight Artem Lobov if that fight fell through and after Khabib beat McGregor, Sabura actually jumped into the cage and beat up on McGregor. And that whole scuffle, that whole scrap, he was involved with that. And the UFC suspended him again. And now he's coming back from all that wackiness. And looking at what he brought to the table before getting suspended and such, quick, pretty mobile. It's very surprising in that regard. Trains at Tiger Muay Thai has carries his hands pretty low but whenever he does wing shots and he throws his hands to quick like he has a quick little check check hook quick overhand right just comes in darts in and out he's able to pop shot with you but then at the same time if he needs to come in and make it grimy and make it dirty and such he yeah, he has quickness to close the gap on top of that as well whenever he's able to catch a kick or whenever he shoots in on a takedown has really impressive drive like Islam Makachev and Khabib Zabura trains with those individuals as well so you know those guys from Dagestan they're just getting after it and whenever it comes to getting the fight where it needs to be they have that necessary aggress- aggressiveness and Zabara has that in spades if you look at weaknesses it's the three years off what's he going to look like when he comes back is he going to still have that same tenacity that same, that same speed the same quickness or is it going to take him maybe around, around a half to get all of it back or maybe one or two more fights to get all of it back we don't know whenever we look at his opponent Laurent murphy Laurent murphy at 6700 he's making his ufc debut in this card and he's fought in the regional scene in england and he looks good in that regard because he has good movement he has good straight punches and such he reminds me of a poor 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 man's leon edwards just really patient like that just Waits for strikes, has quick kicks, and the kicks are choppy too. Quick kicks to the legs, quick kicks to the body, good straight punches. He looks to counter off the overhand right and such, and looks good in that regard. But whenever you look at his weaknesses, it's whenever he does get pressured, he tends to back himself up against the cage and cover up. And another weakness as well is the competition that he's faced so far in the regional scene is not really up to snuff of the UFC You got Zabroa here coming off a three-year layoff. We don't know what he looks like, but then Zabroa can be off for 10 years. And this is still LaRon Murphy's biggest opponent on paper compared to the slums that he's faced in the regional scene. Whenever we go into the fight prediction, I see Zabroa winning this bout by decision. I see Zabroa going in here, striking here and there. He will get touched up here and there with the straight punches because when Zabruba does come in, he is susceptible to getting countered with straight punches just because of how wide he kind of throws his shots, but then once he realizes he's getting touched too much, he's going to be able to pressure Leron, get him up against the cage, work a couple takedowns, score points that way, and take home the decision. Leron Murphy was almost my underdog lock of the night, but this matchup kind of scares me. so. Going into DraftKings, Zabrou at 9,500, um, that's a pass, man. Like, even if he were to come out here and possibly get a submission, I just don't see it happening. I don't think Leron is an absolute bum. But then at the same time, I see Zabrou just coming in here, getting things right, getting a decision in Abu Dhabi, sh- giving a shout-out to everyone and moving on and continuing his UFC momentum. And with Leron Murphy at 6,700, he is not a bad base play. Going back to uh joanne calderwood in regards to the floor she'll provide if she loses i feel the same way with LaRon murphy unless if zabrua comes out here and just takes him down and holds them holds him down doesn't let him do anything then it's gonna suck because he won't be able to score many points but i see this fight primarily taking place on the feet LaRon's gonna have his opportunities to rack up significant strikes or get a takedown here or two i wouldn't really rely too much on the takedowns but then I don't see Laurent getting finished. I see him going all three rounds. And if he wins at 6,700, dynamite. That's awesome. But if he happens to lose, like I said with Joanne Calderwood, a good floor. In the next bout, we have Leanne uh Joja at the DraftKings price of 8,400 versus Sarah Morris at the DraftKings price of 7,800. And with Leanne, Leanne is also a debutante as well. She's making her UFC debut here in UFC Abu Dhabi and looking at her she this girl's not really impressive she fights at the Russia regional scene and she's been fighting absolute soccer moms absolute jobbers absolute bums there was actually one tape I saw where she fought this soccer mom she beat by heel hook and whenever she got her down and got the heel the girl just stabbed like it wasn't even in all the way Swear, wasn't in all the way in. She just tapped. On top of that as well, with Leanne, I mean, she she's tough, you know. She she hangs back, and if you come in, she'll open up and throw strikes at you. It's women's MMA, so the strikes aren't really, like, the best. She just wings them, and no one moves their head, so you're going to get hit by something. On top of that as well, whenever she's on the bottom, she does attack submissions. They're not fluid. They, they're kind of, like, forced. But then if you're facing low-level competition like she has then she's you're gonna get them on top of that as well with leanne she whenever she, her recent bout she fought against a respectable undefeated opponent and she struggled that bout she won by majority decision because i hate to be that guy i think it's home cooking but she didn't look impressive. she was getting taken down and that's another weakness too she gets taken down pretty easily and on top of that as well, she hasn't fought in a year. She hasn't fought in a year and she's making her UFC debut here. And you're looking at her picture here with the Superwoman stuff, and you go on her Instagram. I hate to be that guy that in regards to this too, but she's she's a bit of a insta thought, dude. I think she's like using this like Paige Man I'm using this fighting platform to get famous, to look pretty, to have, you know, thirsty guys look at me, buy my merch, and just see how far I can take this thing. But looking at her opponent, Sarah Morris, Man, Sarah's tripping, dude. There's something wrong with her. (laughs) Like, She's dropped her last three fights. Respectively, she's lost to Pudulova. Pudulova's a beast. She's very aggressive. And she lost to Macy Kachagan. But anyway, Macy, that's a future contender. And those girls were huge, got after her, and basically whooped up on her. But if you look at what Sarah does, she has really good jujitsu from the bottom, really flexible hips and she's just whenever she's down there she's like attacking stuff which is good on top of that as well she's willing to bite down the mouthpiece and just throw wild and such because that's women's mma that's what they're gonna do but if you look at her weaknesses whenever she gets taken down she doesn't really fight it i think because she's a high level like jujitsu practitioner she's like okay go ahead and take me down i'll work with it but then it's just it's sort of frustrating on top of that as well she's able to get takedowns but then She'll get a takedown, but then when she needs to shoot another one because the opponent got back up or something, she just doesn't have that drive or that grit to, like, get it done, you know? On top of that as well, whenever she's on top of her opponent on the ground, she tends to get overzealous and, like, too crazy and lose position, and that's frustrating too because she ends up getting reversed and then she's on the bottom again, so... It's crazy, like this. Like I said, super low level women's MMA bout that we have coming up here. But looking at the fight prediction, here we go, boys. We're gonna have to do it. It is what it is. Sarah Moras is my DraftKings underdog lock of the card. Lina, Liana coming in UFC debut, haven't fought in a year, and just coming in with very average skills. This very Sarah, Sarah Moras is in her last fight on her contract. She's basically fighting for her job. And I feel like this is a good spot for her to come in and not only win, but also secure a submission and get that 70 point, 90 point first or second round finish in DraftKings. And going into the DraftKings price, Liana at 8400 for Forget about it. Forget about it, forget about it, forget about your you paying for the name and ain't much value in that name. 8,400 is not good at all. I don't see her finishing Sarah, I don't see her racking up a lot of points. I think she's going to give you like a 50 point ceiling if she happens to win. They just don't want to do it. And with Sarah at 7,800, it's a bit expensive, yes I know, but then at the same time, I smell a submission in this battle. I feel like she can get it done, I feel like she can save her job. On top of that as well. Leanne she I feel like she can push Leanne and do what she needs to do. I I mean this Debbie coming in here and I don't think she has the chops to do what she needs to do to beat my underdog lock, Sarah Morris. And the next bout, we have Otman Oster at the DraftKings price of 8900 versus Tamil Packlin at the DraftKings price of 7300. And when Otman Otman is He's he's the favorite here, man. Like he's the big time fighter in Abu Dhabi, but he is making his UFC debut as well. And if you, when I looked at his tape, good things about this guy. He's super aggressive, goes after it grimy. Whether he's losing a fight, whether he's winning a fight, he's looking to finish. He's not playing with scorecards. If it goes to the scorecards, you can even see it on his face. Like He's, like, disappointed. He's like, damn, why did I make, let the fight go that far? But, man, oh, man, let's get into the weaknesses. This guy, I've seen it all. He's been taken down multiple times. There's fights where he's been dropped. He's going against absolute jobbers, and these jobbers are dropping him. There's times where he's in, like, bad jujitsu situations where he could get submitted and such, and by... By faith or whatever the case may be, he's 11 and no. He's fought through all that adversity. He's done what he needed to do, and he's he's won the bouts. Most of those bouts he's won. He's finished the respective opponent. And looking at his opponent, uh, Timu Packlin. Packlin, tall, rangy, jiu-jitsu guy. His striking is absolutely bad. He looks uncomfortable on the feet. He looks super st- stiff. If you watch this fight against uh, Mark DeSeki two years ago, which was the last time he fought... Literally got starched in, I believe, 20 seconds. You only scored one drafting point, so that wasn't really great. But looking at where he wants to take the fight, he wants to take it to the ground. Super long six-one guy wants to take it to the ground, lock you up with that long-range, long body of his, and lock up a triangle, rear naked choke, whatever the case may be. Whenever he is on the ground and he's on top, he's like super wiry, and he's able to use that like length to like really like crush down on his opponent. On top of that as well, as jiu-jitsu is super respectable. Like I mentioned before, weaknesses is his striking. It's not very good, he doesn't look comfortable, and he doesn't really move his head, he's super hittable. Going into the fight prediction, I see Ottman winning this bout by, I would say third round TKO, but this is not a slam dunk matchup for Ottman whatsoever. From what I've seen from the tape with him getting constantly taken down, with him being dropped, with him being in bad positions, Packlin, as bad as he is, and as much of uh, of a layup this may seem on paper, Packlin will have it have his opportunities to submit Ottman or hurt him. Well, we don't know either one of those cases. And going into the DraftKings price, eighty nine hundred for Ottman. Ottman, that's a gamble. He's not super expensive, yes, and obviously you can get the safe. You can get the safe pick of Andre Ali for hundred dollars less. But if you're a gambling guy, if you're in a big tournament GPP and you need to make that money, then Ottman will be a good play in regards to he goes in there, he blasts Packlin, and he gets you that high point floor. But Packlin at the same time at seventy three hundred is a perfect boom or bust play because the way Ottman fights, super wild. Does get in trouble, and let's say he happens to mess around, and Packlin gets his back and submits him or something. That is a very, very, very big possibility. Personally, I wouldn't be surprised. But overall, you can roster either one of these guys, and you're going to be holding your breath. In the next bout, we have below Muhammad at the DraftKings price of ninety one hundred versus Tassat, Tassat, Takashi Sato at the DraftKings price of seventy one hundred. Well, below Muhammad, below Muhammad is this basically pressure. Good fundamental boxing. Whenever he does get his opponent on the ground, good transitions, good top pressure as well. And if you really go into any weaknesses in regards to Bilal Muhammad, it's really whenever he's getting backed up or whenever he's not able to put the pressure on his opponent or such, and he's getting stifled by strikes and things of that nature, then his game completely shuts down. Two guys that come to mind who were able to do that to Bilal is Fasante Luque, TKO'd him in the first round, and uh geoff Neal, who just fought nico price recently at ufc 240 and neil just he fought a perfect fight but combinations in Bilal's face and when Bilal shot takedowns on him stuffed those takedowns like pancakes but other than that if you looked at belil's recent fight against curtis Millender, he looked phenomenal that was like textbook belil muhammad his boxing looked good it wasn't the best striking in the world but it's enough to Get the opponent thinking. He mixes in leg kicks, which is also good as well. And whenever he's able to get deep on those legs, whether he's up against the cage or he's in space, great chain wrestling. Really good chain wrestling. And on top of that, really good takedowns off the cage. And he just gets to work. Doesn't really get tired. Just a real good pressure wrestler. And his opponent, Takashi Sato, this is his second fight in the UFC. He fought his first battle against Ben Saunders. Ben Saunders will be fighting in bare knuckle fighting. Uh, bare-knuckle boxing, I believe, by next year or so. I, I don't know when. But anyway, Takashi Sato, in that respective bout, he showed he TKO'd Ben Saunders, but then you notice that pressure tends to stifle him a bit. When you look at his positives, he likes to throw single shots, especially with his backhand. He's a softball, so he throws his left hand a lot. On top of that as well, whenever you are close in range, he likes to throw the left uppercut. But other than that, just... He just, likes. he stands real erect. He bounces lightly on his feet, and he just tries to pop it straight, pop it straight, pop it straight. Doesn't really throw a lot of volume. On top of not throwing a lot of volume, pressure in the the regional scene, he fought an opponent. I forgot the opponent's name, but it was a Brazilian guy, and he just literally wrestled Takashi and was able to submit him. So you could tell, like, pressure wrestling grinding up against the cage like sato doesn't like that kind of stuff so going into the prediction i see below muhammad winning this bout by decision as well i don't see how takashi goes in here and gets the job done against Bilal unless he hits him with a kill shot but then if you're hoping for a kill shot on from takashi to put it on Bilal, I, I believe that's just it's, it's a fight anything can happen but I just I don't see it happening I see Bilal actually touching up Takashi and not only touching him up on the feet but frustrating him and grinding him up against the cage and taking him to the mount draftkings wise Bilal Muhammad at 9100 that's a payable price Bilal Muhammad typically when he wins fights he gets around he gets he, he scores around the 80 point range so typically like you get like a floor probably like 80 points and you'll get a ceiling of like 88 points or so unless he's able to score some submission or a TKO in this respect about so below Muhammad he's definitely a good $9,000 play good good win play and to get you a good 80 points and with Takashi Sato at 7100 cheap play but then it's, it's a boomer bust play but it, I'm, it's a boomer bust play I'm not comfortable with at all because he doesn't throw enough volume on top of that as well he hasn't I don't believe he possesses that Power, or let alone can follow the game plan like J- like Neil and Vasante Luque did when they beat Bola Muhammad. I don't think ta- t- Takashi Sato could do the same thing as those respective strikers who won their bouts. I'm fading Sato. In the next bout, we have Mordeen Taleb at the DraftKings price of 8,200 versus Muslim Sal- Salakov at the DraftKings price of 8,000. And this bout is the battle of, of of the social security. Both of these guys are, are in their late 30s at the end of their careers, but going into Nordin Taleb. Nordin Taleb, he trained at TriStar. He's training at Taiko Muay Thai for this respective bout. If you look at him, this is a patient striker, tall patient striker, who uses inside leg kicks, kicks to the body, kicks to the head. Whenever he does, uses his hands, he typically uses it to either measure where his opponent is, we can get his kicks off, or if they come in, he uses it to counter. His counters aren't the best, but then they're enough to like get respect. On top of that as well, he is he, the killer instinct isn't necessarily there. Unless he's able to hurt you like he did to Danny Roberts when he KO'd him in the first round, he's willing to just stay busy, score points with his strikes, and take the victory from there. Looking at Muslim, uh, if you look at his respective strengths, he has 183 victories in kickboxing and that's not this isn't MMA it's kickboxing so he has that respective experience on top of that as well he has like a really sneaky back spinning back kick to the body and the head which it's funny because how he moves kind of slow and he doesn't have a lot really high volume output but then those shots you could tell he really puts together quite well but looking at his weaknesses hasn't fought in a year so We don't know where he's going to be at in this respective bout. And on top of that as well, his striking output is putrid, man. Like, he just doesn't throw enough strikes. Like, he'll throw a kick here, throw a kick there. He'll come forward and and throw punches at you. Whenever he is, like, in the pocket and you come in dumb, he'll try to counter you. But it's not very often. And it's just, I, I just, I don't like his output whatsoever. So, going into the fight prediction, I see Taleb winning this bout by decision. And the reason I see Taleb winning is I just think Taleb, even though Muslim is the better striker, Taleb will be a lot more busier. Will be busy with the leg kicks, will be busy with the hands. Just be busy scoring points, which will steal rounds and give him the the victory. On top of that as well, Taleb's teammate, uh, I believe it is Alex Garcia. Yes, Alex Garcia fought Muslim back when Muslim made his... UFC debut, and he was able to wrestle Muslim, take him down, basically stifle his game. And so Taleb can just literally go back to Firas Sahabi, who's the mutual coach of him and Alex Garcia, and say, hey, what's the game plan? What have you seen from Muslim? Because he literally hasn't really changed his game. Yes, he's been gone for a year, but then what new tricks can this old dog learn? And going into DraftKings, both of these guys are rosterable. Nordine Treleb at 8200 and Muslim at $8,000. But this is going to be a very, very, very low scoring bout unless someone gets finished or someone just gets teed off on. I'm fading this matchup altogether because the winner of this bout is probably going to score 60 points, 70 points if you're lucky. Not a lot of high upside in regards to this bout and just a, a low volume output by both of these guys fading this matchup altogether. But both guys are rosterable the next bout, we have Omari, Omari Akhmadov at the draft king price of 8300 versus Zach Cummings at the draft king price of 7900 And with uh, Akhmadov, Akhmadov, he's actually used to fight at welterweight and has moved up to middleweight. Same as Zach Cummings, he used to be at welterweight and moving up to middleweight. And with Akhmadov, he's a big, strong, brute of a guy, you know, kind of muscular, sambo background. Whenever he is in the pocket punching range wise, he bounces he bounce, bites down on the mouthpiece and just opens up and swings big punches and such. But weaknesses in regards to Omari is his takedowns are not good. Like Sambo background and such, but it doesn't really secure them. Whenever he is able to get takedowns, he they're very muscled. They're not the technique isn't necessarily sound. And on top of that as well, he does his energy isn't good. When he, you could tell a lot of times when he's fighting, he's very tentative. Not a lot of points are being scored because if he tries to go for the kill or really go after it and push it, his gas tank goes to hell and he just doesn't do anything. He's just, he's a fish out of water, basically. And looking at his opponent, Zach Cummings, like I mentioned, used to fight at welterweight, now fighting at middleweight, primarily he strikes. has kind of like a herky jerky, weird rhythm to a striking, but it's actually improving on older fighter as well. But he's had two fights so far in the middleweight division. He beat Trevor Smith, who was a wrestler, was able to control the distance there and win a good decision over there. And he submitted Trevor Giles. Trevor, and, but in the Trevor Giles bout, he actually knocked down Trevor Giles. It was mostly a striking bout, and when he did, he was able to get down there, secure rear naked—I mean, not uh, guillotine and submit him from there. High-level black belt as well. Weaknesses in regards to Zach Cummings: his takedowns aren't the best. He'll try to push his opponent up against the cage and get a takedown, but like I mentioned, not the best. On top of that as well, whenever he's on top, he tends to get overzealous in his transitions and lose position, and when he's on bottom, he doesn't really show an urgency to get back up unless there's a cage nearby where he can wall walk and such. But going to the fight prediction of this bout, I see Zach Cummins winning this bout by decision. I see Zach Cummins keeping this fight standing up, keeping it in striking range. Omari, yeah, he's willing to bite down and swing and go hard and such, but he just doesn't look impressive. He just throws brawly shots, doesn't throw them at a high rate at all because he's trying to manage his energy. And Zach Cummins, he's just been looking good lately in regards to his striking. He's been training with James Krause, who's a high-level coach, and... I believe Zach Cummings is able to come in here and win this bout 29-28. I think he's going to lose the first round. But then after that, he's going to find his rhythm. And he's just going to be able to put the significant strikes on Omari and and still the fight. Going to DraftKings, Omari at 8,300. Forget about it. I rostered him in my last bout when he fought Tim Bosch. And he scored 56 points in the victory. Was not good. I was not a happy customer. Don't want to touch him. Unless... He comes out with a super intensive grappling game plan, and he fixed his cardio. But I do not believe in either. With Zach Cummings at seventy nine hundred, that's close to the eight thousand dollar range, but. He's rosterable. If he does win, I see him scoring seventy points, seventy-five points or so. He's a good seven thousand dollar baseline piece or so. He was also almost my DraftKings underdog lock, but we got to go bigger, go home. That's why my girl Cyril Moras is gonna get it done by submission. But I digress. Zach Cummings will get the job done. Roster him, Akhmadov, If you like wasting roster spots and killing your DraftKings budget, put him in your lineup. Finally. We have the opener. We have Don Maj at the DraftKings price of 8700 versus Zaim at the DraftKings price of 7500. And with Don Maj, he's trained, he's a fighter out of South Africa who's had one respective UFC bout. And damn, oh damn, oh damn, did he look good. Primarily a Muay Thai striker, but he does have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu chops. Whenever he fought Tay Edwards, Tay Edwards was his high-level wrestler. And he knocked him down nasty in the first round. Tay takes him down and he's attacking triangle chokes, arm bars. He's attacking them pretty smoothly. And obviously, the round ends. Second round comes and he starts getting back with the hands, hits him with a nasty head kick. Beautiful, beautiful. That's why you see that 100 and 100.5 uh, fighter points per fight. That's because he's only had one fight. That's why his average is so awesome. But either way, Really impressed by how he fights. Moves his head. Gets his head off the center line. Whenever he throws, he like throws with bad intention. But then the strikes are technical. The kicks, they're ripping to the body. They're ripping to the leg. He reminds me of Tumanov a bit. But then like he's a bit more technical in that regard. If I look at weaknesses, I would say he does get taken down. But then with that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu being so offensive and him just always attacking and going for the kill, I'm impressed by that. And Farah Sahim... He's a kickboxer, I believe he fought in glory, kickboxing a couple of bouts there, young kid, 22 years old. He is taking his bout on short notice, which is it's concerning, and it's something that definitely need to be taken into account. On top of that as well, he's fought on the French regional scene, and he has a variety of wins by submission. He has wins by TKO. He prefers kicking range. He loves his kicking range so he can get the kicks off and do what he needs to does do what he needs to do but then on top of that as well he's able to secure takedowns and he's able to get uh submissions as well with his long frame but going to the fight prediction i see don ma coming in there and tko in this short notice kid yes he has a kickboxing background and he has a variety of wins but i don't really take the french regional mma scene too seriously and Don, he's been in the, in the UFC. Yes, it's one fight, but he's been in here. He's done what he needs to do. He looks super impressive. And even though Frost has better stand-up than Tay Edwards, I just think Don's is going to pressure him. And I don't think Frost is going to like that. And not only just pressure him, but he's gonna throw. He's gonna he fights the finish, whether he's on the feet or he's on the ground. He's gonna fight the finish, and he's gonna put it on this short-notice kit and he's gonna get him out of there. And DraftKings wise at eighty-seven hundred, give me that all day. Very generous price. Drop hundred bucks. Don't get Lee, Get this guy. Let him go out there and get you a finish. Or if he doesn't get you a finish, he's gonna damn. He's gonna fight damn hard to get it done. And with at seventy-five hundred for uh, for Ross short notice fighter good pump play if you just want to see if he's able to pull it off or so but not a good pump play in regards to like oh he has the skills to nullify don mod or anything of that sort because i just feel like there's levels to this mma game and even though he's making his debut and don is making his sophomore uh introduction i just think don's gonna go in there and cook this kid up so, thank you so much for tuning in to the 11th episode of the Make That Money DraftKings Sessions. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for liking. Thank you so much for sharing this video. I love each and every one of y'all for growing this thing. I appreciate y'all coming back here and checking out. Check your listings. I'm going to go live this Saturday, Fight Companion. We're all going to get in there. We're going to have our lineup set. We're going to have our bet set. We're all going to make that money. And we're going to have a good old time. I'll see y'all this Saturday. Thank you so much. Holla at y'all.